there were a few black leaders that had been there a, a little bit longer than me that just explained stuff, you know, and I could come and I could be like, I don't understand this. How do I navigate this situation? We all need to give that and we all deserve to receive that for us to be able to combat some of the challenges that our community faces in majority environments. This is Janine Henry, and you're listening to Technically 200. Welcome to Technically 200, a podcast celebrating Black and Latina women breaking barriers in STEM and trailblazing paths for the next generation. Each week, you'll hear their inspiring stories, life lessons, and insights about how they're successfully navigating and changing STEM ecosystem. This podcast is powered by Code to College. I am with the esteemed Janine Henry. She is Director of New Product Operations at Meta here in their Austin offices. Welcome, Janine. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and always a huge fan of Code to College and everything that y'all are doing. Well, thank you so much. You've been a supporter of ours since the very beginning. I remember a, uh, a, a chat in a very cramped dining room in Austin long ago when it was just an idea and you were there for it and truly appreciate all of the support. So why don't we dive right in? Um, you are in a, a role that I think most folks may or may not be familiar with. And so I, I actually myself thought, hey, you're in product management, right? And I, I, was, I was wrong, but we're going to get to all of that. As director of new product operations at Meta, how did you even get here and break into tech in the first place? Yeah. So I'll start by saying that I um, graduated from Stanford in 2002, which was after the, bu the initial bubble burst, but tech was still pretty big in Silicon Valley. One of my best friends was working at a um, startup company and she recruited me over there. And so my first role out of undergrad was at a tech startup. Um, we built payroll solutions for small businesses. Um, and I joined doing customer support and operations. And it was my first time seeing how a product could be so valuable to a community of people. Um, and as I got more experienced in supporting our customers with these products, I learned that the product management team was really responsible for driving the strategy of what was going to be built and why it was going to be built. And I was intrigued by that. And I wanted, maybe I was a little power hungry. I wanted to be a product manager versus working in um, like a traditional ops role. But I um, ended up going into product management after that at a less known company, a less well-run company, um, but it was a great experience. Um, and so I learned a lot about the product management process by being a junior product manager, growing into a more senior product manager at that company. But I also learned to do things a, a bit differently than I think I would have if I would have stayed at a company that was really, really successful. They were eventually acquired. Um, my first company was eventually acquired by Intuit, um, who develops a lot of like payroll solutions and payment solutions, um, but they were really well run. I just didn't have as much opportunity there. 
So I kind of chased a title and chased a role that was good for me in the long run. But I think I probably would have learned more if I stayed at a company and kind of grew up in that that company um, that did things really, really effectively. And I would say that I ended up going back to business school post um, my product management era because I was missing some skills that I think I could have learned from that company had I stayed there. Um, and, you know, we went to business school together. You learned so much during that time about leadership, but also some of the, the coursework can be really helpful from like finance and, and uh, marketing and operations that I think led me to my opportunity at Facebook slash Meta. Can you define product management for us? Yeah. So product managers tend to be like the CEO of the product that they're responsible for. So they're responsible for kind of marketing that product. Um, in some com companies, they may be responsible for the operations of that product. It kind of depends on how each company defines it. But I was essentially responsible for understanding my customers' needs, writing requirements that our engineering team could tr then translate into code, develop that code, and then kind of bring that product to market. So that meant that we were bringing clients in to give feedback on the product that we were developing, testing that product, and then we would roll it out to our entire customer base. Um, and so in that, you need some level of marketing, you need some level of operations and organization. Um, you need some level of understanding how to make things clear for engineering so that they build what you want them to build. Not a lot of oversight. Um, you need some understanding of like, how is this technically going to be done? And like, what are all the steps it's going to take? You really are like the master of all in some ways. You know, I've seen memes about what it means to be a product manager and it's like not that great at design check not that great at engineering check perfect product manager and and but i've also heard that product managers are the ones who are able to serve as that conduit between these many different stakeholders what are some of the things that someone looking to develop as a product manager or even break into product management should be thinking about, especially given that, you know, you have to start from somewhere. Let's say yeah. your, your background, what was your degree in at Stanford? American studies. American studies. Okay. Nothing technical, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but um, I think the thing that I understood most in my first job was how our product worked. Like, the QA team would come over to me and be like, hey, can you explain like what, why this is broken? And I could explain it to them or engineering would come over to me and be like, hey, I kind of get this, but like, why, how should I build this next thing? And I'd be like, okay, here's why our customers don't understand it. So it's both an expert in the product and I was an expert in our customers. And that's kind of like a very perfect marriage of skills to be a great product manager because you kind of need to know what your customers want, what they're expecting, but you also need to be able to tell engineering like what needs to be built. Um, and so I think starting in customer support and in ops was like the perfect thing for me right out of undergrad, right? Like I just learned so much about 
what our customers were expecting, how our product wasn't meeting their expectations and like how to talk to um, engineering about like what they needed. That took time, of course, like I wasn't just like perfect at it right out of the, out of the gate, but I also had been a waitress, you know, prior, like during my college years, like I was really a, a expert in what customers need because you know, when you're waitressing, you learn what's going to get you a bigger tip or, you know, or not like your, your money depends on how good you are with your customers. So like, I think that I had just been building over time, like a really good understanding of what customers needed from whatever role I was in. And then when I got to be in tech, I learned how to translate that. That is fascinating uh, that working in the service industry and being in excelling in customer service was your path to product. And I'm sure that that's, there are probably many out there with similar paths, but I would never have made that connection that that could be a potential path into product. One of the yeah. things that you had mentioned before also was the fact that you started, I mean, you were already in Stanford, so you were in Silicon Valley. And so you, I mean, you had sort of this inordinate access to startups and startup culture uh, through osmosis, even not not even just proximity. And so do you think that we're in a, in a similar state right now uh, in 2023, you know, several years later, where just about anyone, they could find some of these more entry level stakeholder or customer success roles and find their way into product? I think so. I mean, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Right. Like I was that at my first company for two years, I joined again, a less reputable, less, you know, effective organization at times to get that product management role. Um, but there were, that was a trade-off, right? It's like, I'm not as a, at a reputable company, but like I'm getting some experience. So I think that there's, um, there is a hundred percent opportunity to come out of whatever program, start at a startup company, but you got to be willing to kind of roll up your sleeves and take what you can get. I think that there's this quote at Facebook or at, at Meta, but at Facebook at the time was like, you don't ask what seat you're sitting in when you're getting on a rocket ship. You just get on, you just get on the rocket ship. Um, and that is kind of the attitude that you need to have in tech if you want to succeed is like roll up your sleeves, figure out what needs to be done and do it really, really well. True words. True. And and has that been the case for you now? You've been at Meta for, uh, has it been about 12 years now? 11, 12 years? Almost 12. We graduated almost 12 years ago. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm going to move on from the time frame, but um, can you... Has that been your experience? Because, you know, you mentioned we graduated 12 years ago, but you've, you've been at the same organization for that time. Um, you know, one, when you talk about a rocket ship and <clears throat> when most people think about meta, absolutely see that type of a trajectory. Has that been your experience about moving, whether from different teams vertical ascent, you know, that ascent um, in role, um, having sort of a, a diversity of, of work that you've, that you've encountered? What's interesting is that while I've been at Meta for 11 plus years, 
I've really only been in two different roles. So the first um, team that I joined was new to the company and I kind of built it out from scratch, which gave me, I was able to like kind of flex some of our MBA, like business case, like, hey, we need to grow this team. This Here are all the problems that we need to fix. Um, and it was the first operations team that was kind of more um, dedicated to how businesses used our platform versus users used our platform. So I built that team over six or seven years and really got it to a place where like we didn't need as many people doing that anymore, which is a part of tech is like in, in operations is like you figure out what needs to get done. You figure out how to scale it and you figure out how to automate it so that you don't have to have your most um, your most critical talented resources doing work that a computer could do. Um, and then the second role that I um, have taken on at the company is all around like testing products, making sure that they have product market fit before we actually roll them out to millions of customers. But it was the experience in my first job that I was able to say, hey, we should probably do this a bit differently um, and then scale the team that now is totally focused on our new product development and operations for new product development. But I would always say that, like, first of all, um, Facebook and Meta are performance-driven company, right? Like, you stay there because you perform. Um, and it took me a long time to figure out that the system, you know, because um, it's a system of performance management and figuring out how to play the game of that system because it is gamified in some ways. Um, and so I think you and I were talking about earlier is like, how do you figure out goals and all of these all of these things to make sure you show up as a high performer? And it took me a while, but now I, I figured it out. Um, and now just kind of making sure that my team and like the other people that I care about a lot at the organization are learning those things faster than I learned them, especially people of color and women. You know, the, the intersectionality that comes with being a black woman in tech is, you know, it's, it's not lost on me. You were the, the first black female leader in the Austin office. And also you're now the most senior black leader in the Austin office at Meta. Can you talk a little bit about what that means for you and, you know, touch a little bit more on what you just mentioned around the mentorship that you deliver for the other, the other black team members that you have? Yeah. So just to give a little bit of context, I think when I joined the company, it was less than 2,500 in the Austin office. There may have been four black people. Um, and I was the most senior black woman to have joined the Austin office, which I didn't is is equally exciting and scary at the same time, because you feel a lot of obligation to be amazing and excellent. And I'm not going to, I'm no longer an advocate of like black girl magic and black women doing all of the things all of the time. It's just too exhausting and it's not fair to us. But 
Um, you know, I think that finding your community when you're one of few is so, so, so critical to survival. And I would say my first couple of years were just about surviving and um, figuring out how to be successful in an environment that had never been in because all the other companies I had worked for were really small and didn't have the same kind of system set up. Um, but finding that crew of people who could tell me the truth about how to navigate and where like the feedback was accurate and where the feedback wasn't accurate and how I needed to like push back on some of the things that I was hearing from people because there was a lot of initially me just trying to figure out how do I get anything done at this place? It's not very organized at the time, you know, and I'm starting this brand new team. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. All of my counterparts are in um, Menlo Park or at headquarters. Like, how do you figure that out? But, you know, there's always a group of people that will kind of show you the way, you know, um, especially there are many different forms and flavors and shapes and colors of people that supported me during that time. But I would say like, there were a few black leaders that had been there a little bit longer than me that just explained stuff, you know, and I could come and I could be like, I don't understand this. How do I navigate this situation? I could cry to them when I was really, really frustrated and they would pick me back up again. And so like, I just wouldn't have been able to survive the first couple of years without that community. And so you know, and that's just not, that's not just at Meta, that's at Wharton, that's at Stanford, that's at growing up, the number of people that our community, we're a community, we're a communal people. And like, we all need to give that and we all deserve to receive that for us to be able to combat some of the challenges that our community faces in majority environments. Um, and so it's critical that I do the same for people that was given to me. Um, and so I care deeply, deeply that, you know, our community has a good experience at the company as much as I can, as, as much as I can, you know, create and that black women are seen and heard and valued for everything that they contribute um, to their day jobs, but also to make our community great. And so, you know, you mentioned, there was a lot that you mentioned there in particular about your, your own experience. And I'd be curious to, to know how that plays into some of that mentorship for younger team members. So, you know, you mentioned your first couple of years at, at Meta, you were just trying to survive. And when we look at the, the typical tenure of someone at a tech company, at last check, it was about, you know, 12 to 18 months. And so what, what does that mentorship look like when there are challenging times, um, whether it be challenging times with a particular manager or on a team or just org wide, what is it that you're telling them to help them make decisions about their, their path. Yeah. The first thing is like not to give up. It's not just them. There's probably many people that are struggling beyond them, but um, 
really to not fall into, um, you know, a pattern of self of self doubt, right? Or imposter syndrome. That is a like a really easy thing to fall into when you're brand new at a tech company. Like, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not smart enough to be here. And it's just it's just not true. So you gotta you kind of have to shut that part down. The second thing is really getting clear on what is expected of you. I think what was hard in the beginning is I didn't know that like I should be like, hey, what are the clear goals and expectations of me in this role? I just kind of was like, hold up my sleeves and started working hard and doing what I think was the right thing to do. But it's like, well, that's what I think should be done. But you're my manager. Maybe you should tell me what you think should be done. But like, I have to say that to people who've never been in tech before, because I didn't know that. Even though I grew up in tech, again, I hadn't been a part of a big organization. So like be really crisp and clear with your manager about what they expect of you and what delivering on those things is going to look like will change the game uh, of when you do it. The other thing is like we get, I got really excited about being part of like the black community and doing a lot of things in the black community, organizing, you know, getting, you know, working with different organizations and like that all is, is impactful if you're doing your core job really, really, really well. And so there were times where I had to like pull back from my community work at the company because I just needed to focus more on my core job. And I think sometimes I have to mentor people on saying like, you know what, this half, I'm not doing anything for the community. I'm doing everything to to drive results for my or my core role because I want I'm aiming for a greatly exceeds or I'm aiming for like a certain outcome. So that's why like getting clear on what is expected of you and then documenting this crap out of that is is really important skill set to learn in tech. Yeah, I lo- I love that documentation and it's you know it's when it's clear and black and white and we can all agree on the data makes it much uh much harder for that subjectivity to creep in at least hopefully right um so i i'd love to hear a little bit more about what you do for meta because you know i mentioned before that i got it wrong even on just calling it product management but if we were going to zoom out there's there's so much more uh, to to this area of the org, and also so much more that you bring to bear um, in terms of the teams under your oversight. So, can you talk a little bit more about product development at Meta, and as well as just what your part of the process is? So, I oversee a team called New Products. I would add the word operations to it because we are not just dealing with um, the product development in and of itself. We're really trying to usher new products into the market. And the way that we do that is in two different ways. One is through customer immersions, which is essentially before a product team builds anything, we want them to have conversations with customers to validate their hypothesis of what it is that they think that they're gonna build and validate that customers would find that valuable. And then once the product team has developed an initial version of what they think um, they want to build, we actually recruit clients to start testing those products and telling us if they work, 
usually from like a functional perspective, like there's not a lot of bugs or like it's not confusing. And then once we've gotten it to a stage where it's actually working really effectively, um, then we have customers test for the value of that product, meaning like, are they going to have a better return on their advertising spend using this product versus that product? Um, and so at the end of that process, we ideally want to tell our product teams, like, we feel really good about this. Like, it's going to be high quality. It's going to be performative for our advertisers and our businesses. Like, you should feel good about launching this product. Or alternatively, hey, you may need to resync what you originally were are building here. Um, there's a lot of problems. Customers don't understand it. They're not going to use it after the fact. I don't think you're going to get a high adoption rate. Like you may just want to go back to the drawing board here and fix a few of these issues before you launch to millions of customers. Um, and so we are basically adding operational rigor, consistent measurement, um, and an objectivity to the product development process that I think our product teams really value and ideally listen to when we're giving them feedback um, because our products are used by millions, if not billions of people every day. And so like, if you're going to launch something, it should be really great for our customer experience. So, you know, I think for, depending on who's listening, um, they may be very familiar with uh, PMPD um, or not. And so just to get a sense of context, what sort of cadence or what sort of um, timeline are you working with at at Meta for for a product from sort of um, ideation to first release? It can, it varies quite frankly, um, depending on whether this is like a brand, brand, brand new concept, like we call that zero to one new product development versus it being an iteration to something that's already existed for quite a while. I would say that, you know, new product, like brand new stuff can be developed as quickly as a few weeks um, or, you know, years, quite frankly, um, probably like less than a year um, for, for brand new stuff, but like we're in the game of innovation. And so like, sometimes you just need to build quickly, get it out there and see how people respond to it, especially with some of our consumer products with our business products. Like we don't want to disrupt our advertisers way of, of working. So I, I would like us to slow down on some of our like products that are being used by like our biggest spending advertisers and like really think about what we're releasing, but it's a great question. And it just varies from product area to product area. I can't give you like a perfect timeline, but for an average like test that we run, it probably takes about eight weeks. So, um, you know, if you're doing test one, eight weeks, test two, eight weeks, and then kind of feeling confident that it's ready to launch, that's probably a you know, a five to six month process. And, and this would be multiple products being launched, ideated in process, developed, et cetera, at once. Uh, could you quantify that? Would you think like there are hundreds in flight right now? Thousands? I will, I don't, I'm not going to share how many, but um, lots, 
lots. You're in a good range. Gotcha. Yeah. We have thousands and thousands of developers. That's the majority of what our company is made up of as engineers. Um, so, and we're an engineering driven company. They are the ones that are driving the future of the company and the innovation. So they're able to do a lot, I'd say. And, you know, I, I think we, we look around right now, we're just a few weeks into 2023, we've already heard of tens of thousands of, of layoffs mm -hmm. uh, just across tech, you know, the usual suspects. But, you know, what should folks who are, whether they are in, you know, boot camps, um, computer science education programs, looking to make a pivot within their organization, anyone who is looking to break into tech, I mean, what should they be thinking right now? Should they be thinking, you know, I need to have a, have a hard left and pivot to something outside of tech? Should they be thinking about maybe some other area, as you mentioned, that's not technical um, within the organization? And even then, who knows, like you mentioned that if if you don't have the technical chops that it, it is much easier for the for your for the security of your job uh to be at risk so what, what should they be thinking right now yeah i definitely think that like the tech roles are a little bit more secure in this space of tech that we're in today i don't think that this is going to be a permanent reality though i think we Everybody in tech experienced a pretty um, consistent set of challenges, which is like when a lot of us make money off of advertising, the economy is not where it used to be. And advertising dollars are one of the easier things to kind of pull back at uncertain times. But what I would also say is that tech companies need engineers. They want engineers. They want data science. They want people that can help them make better decisions and deliver on the innovation that the market expects us to deliver on. Um, and so like if you're in a space where you want to become an engineer or do some of the more technical roles at a company, I actually think like there will be a point where we pick up on hiring. Now, if you're in a function where, um, you know, Maybe there's just less demand or actually people that are getting um, laid off at higher percentages. I would start to think about like, where could that, is there a tech adjacent industry that I could be a part of so that I'm still building skills um, that enable, like you could work at e-com, an, an e-commerce company um, or like a CPG company that does a lot of e-commerce, right? And still... Be begin to build the skill set that you're looking for so that when tech gets back, crossing my fingers that that happens, um, that you have the skill set that you need to easily convert back into a, a, a officially tech company. But I think there are a few things out there that are, you know, and it's just smart to understand who are the industries that are hiring and who aren't in a, in a, in a macro economy that we're in today. You know, I think one of the things that I continue to hear just generally in not even just within tech, but um, 
it would say in the in the larger workforce is around chat gpt and and ai and you know i it's it is apparent <laughs> that chat gpt is is really impressing a lot of folks um both technologists and and sort of the basic consumer alike and so what are your thoughts around the longevity of the product development space and whether it is also susceptible or how susceptible it is to sort of the um, the downward trends that we're seeing in the workforce? It's a great question and I don't have a perfect answer for it. Um, but I do think that there's always going to be a need for understanding how humans really think and what they really want. And so like you can use AI to... I mean, obviously we are seeing so many parts of tech and just the world that are being powered by AI, but you still need humans that can validate what those things are and make sure that what we're going to be building based off of this intelligence is actually the right thing to do. But I mean, the truth is like when you get AI right, it makes things a lot easier. And there's a human part of me that's like, oh, this is a little bit scary, right? But then there's the technology side of me that's like, wow, we could do things so much more efficiently in the world. I guess my question would be, what are we doing with all of the humans that are doing this kind of intelligence today? What does that mean for our society in the long run? Well, and to your point, you had said that uh, you've got a lot more opportunities if you learn how to code. So is that is that in your future? <laughs> no, retirement is in my future. <laughs> I got I got a couple more years left in me. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, like that's not how my brain thinks. But like, if I were in college today, I would. I wish that I would have known that this was an opportunity. I was great at math and science, and like, I could have gone down this path. I think I got discouraged at times because it's hard. Um, but had I been like more involved in some of the things in college, um, that could have kept me engaged in the work, had I gotten more involved in that, I probably, you know, would have had community support to get me through some of the harder classes for CS, but I didn't even know that was a thing until I got to college. So that's why I go to college has such a like huge space in my heart because like, you're introducing it to people at an age where like they can actually do something huge with their life and change their wealth trajectory, their earning trajectory in ways that like we didn't know existed back then. What else can you share with us that is up uh, on deck for you for 2023? 2023 is a year of joy um, for me because uh, last year was, I, I think we can all agree the last three years have been pretty challenging, but last year was tough. I lost quite a few people on my team um, as a part of the, the meta layoffs and it's just not fun. Um, not fun as a leader, not fun as a people manager and a people and a person that cares deeply for the people that are my organization and at, at the company in general. Uh, so this year is going to be a little bit more focused on joy and finding better work-life balance, which I think 
all of us need to do because we're not, this is just my personal opinion. We're not meant to be producers. We're meant to be people. And um, I have been in production mode for a really long time. And so um, finding that balance, but also figuring out smarter ways of doing things, um, which from a from a job perspective, that's what I'm really, really focused on. And then also thinking about, so I've started to do some angel investment, which love, um, and continuing to find ways to um, help Black businesses thrive um, is kind of on my list for this year. That's awesome. Hi. Thank you so much. Uh, you did not disappoint. As a matter of fact, I, I didn't realize that I could have enjoyed this conversation even more than anticipated. But Janine Henry of Meta and of Stanford and of Wharton and of Denver. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. You're so welcome, Matt. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. And thank you and congratulations for the success of your organization. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Technically 200. You can find more episodes like this one on technically200.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.